Hello, and welcome back to Searching Inward, a podcast brought to you by Restore Small Groups here in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm George Stahl, joined by Scott Reel and Anna Bryant and all of you uh, on YouTube from behind your box, your computer, listening in your car, at work. Um, We're so glad you're here and, and joining us. And today, we're continuing on our journey of transformation and we're kind of going through this new book, Scott, that you wrote, just hitting some of the highlights. It isn't even released yet into the world, but it's been released out of your heart. And we got some of this writing on the pages. And so we're going to be highlighting uh, each of the days here. And today is day two, the message of the snare. And so we want to have some conversation around how the things that we think and the things that we believe, we actually become. And Scott, in the book, um, you quote, uh, Dr. Dispenza, he seems to be uh, really driving a lot of the thought behind this book. But he says this, a belief is just an extended state of being. Essentially, beliefs are thoughts and feelings, attitudes that you keep thinking and feeling over and over again until you hardwire them into your brain and emotionally condition them into your body. So what we think, we actually become. I mean, that's really the definition of a paradigm, which is the premise of the whole book. Yeah, I go back to that moment I read Covey say that the paradigm is the center of our being and that what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about God and what we believe about the world is going to shape all of our responses. And so, and so the more that we've studied neuroplasticity and neuropathways, it's true what we believe, what we think, actually becomes a physiological reality for us. It's, it, becomes, it becomes our reality. And it, so our being is just uh, what we are going to, we are going to respond to life from that belief. And so whatever we believe, that is who we really end up becoming. Neurologically, we're learning that it's etch, etched into your brain. So chemically, what you're thinking is forming um, yes. neural pathways it's really actually being played out in how we feel, how we think, and actually what we're becoming in body. So uh, that's just fascinating. And uh, your beliefs are based on past memories, Anna. So uh, whether those are good or bad, they're they're shaping us. And our goal with Restore and with this uh, new book is to help people move toward more positive memories. So um, how's that? How's that all work? When we're thinking bad memories, we're hurting ourselves. When we're thinking good memories, we might be helping ourselves. That's true. I think, um, you know, reliving the past sometimes can uh, be our, our worst Achilles uh, when we go back and, um, yeah, ruminate on things that maybe were less than positive in our lives that reinforce a negative message about who we are. But, um, yeah, I was just, when you guys were just talking, who is who is that ancient philosopher that said, I think, therefore I am? It's amazing that Socrates was was it? Uh, yeah, and now that like yeah. literal like neuroscience is proving that. that thought, it's pretty fascinating. Um, yeah, like what we think about, what we um, focus on, it really does drive our behavior. Um, whatever we give the most energy and focus on, really is kind of where where we go to in our in our physical energy as well. And what we're learning is we can we can change where we go to. Like this is possible by changing our thoughts. Yeah. As a man thinketh in his heart, so he is. And it's never become more true than what we're talking about here. Um, in here, you are talking about uh, 
God is retelling our stories mm-hmm. um, in Jesus. And that's a real compelling part of this. And you quoted in here Rob Bell, and he says, we can trust God's retelling of our story, or we can trust a telling of our story. It is a choice we make every day about the reality we are going to live in. So I think one of the shifts, one of the paradigm shifts that we're trying to help people make is, first of all, to acknowledge that sometimes we have this negative self-story that we're, we're stuck in, and we all need something to, to pull us out of that. And so there is a retelling of our story in Christ that uh, can, can make a big difference. You know, we begin to see that, you know, I can rewrite my story. I can see a different ending. I can believe there's a different ending by allowing Christ to redirect my, how I remember. That's what Thompson says in Anatomy of the Soul, that how we remember our past is going to determine our future and present. So if we want to transform our future, we have to transform how we remember our past. And that is best done, he says, in community. Mm. Whereas there's empathy, empathetic listeners. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to clarify, like remembering our past differently doesn't necessarily mean like revisionist history. We're not trying to change the facts of what ac- actually happened. I think it has so much more to do with, I mean, every life experience is filled with um, a lot of hard things, but there are also good things. And while I think it's really important to acknowledge those hard things that have happened, um, that we also are able to focus in on how those hard things could have worked to our benefit or the good things that happened to us along the way um, can give us hope that more good things will happen in the future. Um, So, yeah, I think that's just really an important distinction to make. It's just we're not trying to revise history and rewrite it in a way that says this didn't happen, but just taking maybe a more holistic view of it that there are good things, there are hard things, and those kind of work together to kind of create who we are and then focusing more on the positive of where where we want to be going. Yeah, it's a more holistic approach. We're not rejecting a part of ourselves or mm-hmm. a part of our history, but I like the way you say that, Anna. It's remembering it in, in a whole new way. So we could look back on some of our painful past and our struggle and our addictions and they could be remembered in such a way that are shaping us in a beautiful way going forward. Well, it, it, what, I, what I mean by that is uh, how I remember my past is it comes down to my interpretation. Yeah. How I interpret it and my perception of it is going to determine how it's affecting me now. And if I can remember it from a different aspect, especially if I have empathetic people around me, I can start to see it differently. And my interpretation of it can be different. It doesn't change the facts of very difficult things that have happened but how they're affecting me and how it's defining me now in my present, that is where the hope is that it can be changed. But it cannot change if I keep remembering it the same way. Yes. Yeah, I think that's hugely important, just um, recognizing that we don't let our past experiences Mm -hmm. or anybody else define us. We actually, with God, get to define who we are. All right, so what you you guys are actually talking about is it's, it's... the overwhelmingly negative self-talk that we convince ourselves how horrible we are. Like remembering our past, we don't have to flog ourselves or, or beat ourselves up. There's a way to remember it in such a way that we can heal and change and grow. Well, um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I've had people in groups talk about their childhood where their parents said, I wish you never would have been born. I had one lady say, you know, 
that her mother told her, if I just would have had more money for an abortion, you wouldn't even be here. I mean, those type memories have defined them and how they interpret that. Well, I have no value. Then that person that was sharing that with us became addicted to drugs at a very early age. So now she's remembering her past differently and that doesn't change what happened to her, but how she interpreted it and the message that came is different. Yeah. You are valuable. And it's a tremendous gift, your life, that you are here. You, you We're talking about ontolo- ontologically. Yes. Um, the nature of people's very being is starting not from their place of, of brokenness or of the bad things that have happened in life, but it's returning to the goodness. Like that is the most healthy, most life-giving place to heal and grow from. Right, because if, if she continues to allow that message to define her, that that's what she remembers, that's who she is, mm-hmm. then that's going to continue to just extend itself into her dysfunctional responses. But if she can begin to see her value and remember her story differently from that aspect, it gives her a whole new life. She's not defined by that. In the book, you you said that until we see ourselves loved by God, um, then we'll never live free. Yeah, what, I just, what does that what does that mean? I was just thinking about that yesterday. I was talking to my friend about that. I think that's the most powerful paradigm shift that can occur. If anything is going to eventually be transformed and work in my life in a healthy way, that's the foundational belief that has to be there. Um, I mean, that is it. That is the root of my transformation, that God loves me, created me, and intimately knowledgeable of everything about me. And just as I am as I was created, that is uh, a beautiful thing. And so nothing could ever separate me from that love, nothing. And the belief of that, again, the belief of that and the interpretation of that, wow, everything can go forward from there. But if that doesn't, then I'm always going to be dealing with symptoms and just, it's just, it's, it's going to be really, really hard to ever have anything consistently work. So there is this understanding that a human being can come to in understanding a divine being's love for us that we're getting the help that we need, even in our struggle even in our failures. Um, and in the book, you uh, uh, you tell the story of Jesus, how he speaks of this divine love mm-hmm. in the prodigal. And, and I want to read this, uh, a portion of this to you, and then have you maybe comment on this. But uh, listen, listen, because it, it kind of flies in the face of maybe how we think about how God, God's demeanor toward human beings, even in their struggle. Um, but it's talking about the prodigal, and when the prodigal son is coming home after squandering everything his father gave him, I love this out of the Message Bible, and it says, when his son was still a long way off, his father saw him, his heart pounding, ran out and embraced him and kissed him, and then the son started his speech, and this is kind of going to that... um, like most people, this long column of debt in our accounting system of where we failed. And this is how we actually see God, is that as God's approaching us through Jesus' you know, uh, story here of what this father is like, and he starts rehearsing all of his sins and telling his, telling his dad, I don't deserve to be called your son ever again, but I love what Eugene Peter says in the message Bible. He says, but the father wasn't listening. <laughs> Because his heart was pounding yeah. for love. I mean, the thing was that he was just glad his son returned. But isn't that what we often do while we're rehearsing 
all the reasons why we don't deserve to be loved, yet there's still something running out to embrace us, to love us, and to help heal us. Yeah, I think that is that's probably our greatest life's work is undoing all the messages that we've received in our life and from our experiences and from the world about that we are not worthy and we are um, just not um, not enough um, to really coming to a place to believe um, taking God at his word that he loves us that we are created out of goodness that we are created in the divine image of God and that um, we don't have to earn that love we don't have to um, be perfect to be worthy of it Um, but just really embracing and taking God at his word, essentially. I think that is our greatest life's work because I think when we can press into that, then when we can live our lives out of a place of uh, goodness that we are loved and we are accepted unconditionally, um, it's only then really that that's going to start to pour out of us as an overflow into others. That's how the, that's how we heal the world Mm. with love. And until we really can embrace that and believe it for our own selves, it's really hard to give away what you don't have. Do you think sometimes that goes like both ways though? It's like, I may not believe that I could possibly love, but you witness to the story of someone else and you believe they could be loved. And then you ask the question, well, I'm worthy of that too. Yeah. Or it could be the other way around that my witnessing to how even in my struggle, I'm loved that someone else could open up to the possibility that that's true for them. But Scott, I want to, I want to come to this cause, and want you to kind of reflect on this and tell us a little more about this, but you wrote, cause you used the paradigm shift. Paradigm is a big word for you here, but you said, this is the paradigm shift to the new you see yourself as a person worthy of love. And then you quote Elizabeth of Trinity. She once said, let yourself be loved. Do this and the chains will fall off and you will soon learn to fly again. The ultimate paradigm is seeing ourselves through the eyes of unconditional love. It's the most powerful paradigm shift you're ever going to experience. There's just, it all, you know, we can talk on these podcasts for years and years and years, but it really does come down to one central point belief and that is that I am loved just as I am and when a person really embraces that and experiences that everything in their life changes and that's what the that's why we say grace is the most powerful force in the universe because it meets me and you know you're just talking about the, the prodigal son when he, the father just his heart pounding and just the joy of his son who's just returned from doing everything that um, he didn't ever want to be about and, and he's so afraid that he's disappointed the father. And so he's come back with all his list of <laughs> I'm sorry's and will you take me back? And, uh, he, you know, remember he said he would even work, he would just work on the farm and just do whatever he could do just to be a part of it. But he says, this is his son. And we're going to have a celebration because he, he was lost and now he's found. And so, you know, in the book or in a group or whatever, when an experience, a person gets to tell their story and be fully known. Here's, here's where I've been. And the message back to them is, I love you, I'm for you, and I believe in you, and I will never abandon you. That is the beginning of, of the, that grace impacting a life. Uh, and if they can read it in a book and begin to hear a voice saying, you know, you're mine. And uh, 
Have you seen the, the new show, The Message? I mean, The Chosen. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen. The scene with Mary Magdalene, it's in the oh, first the, season. The first one, yeah. yeah. Mary, <laughs> he calls her. Mm-hmm. And, and remember where she was at that time. She wasn't using Mary Magdalene as her name because she had become a prostitute and was hiding out. And, and Jesus just calls her by name and says, you are mine, you are mine. And she just embraces that. And so her life was changed in that instant that he called her by name because she knew what he was doing. He saw her mm-hmm. and that uh, her life was changed in that instant. That's, that's what the Bible, that's the whole story of Christ. And that's the story of this book. I hope that people will hear that voice say, you know, call your name and say, you are mine. I see you. And that's the beginning of hope. So beginning to see yourself as a new person will motivate you more and more into the person that you already are. It's like I've heard someone say, be more of who you already are, but people don't really know that who they already are it starts from this place of goodness and worth and dignity. And we, we, we all need that reminder. Right. And that's really hard. Like, I don't want to oversimplify. Like, life is hard, and a lot of people have not received that message from the places where they should, mm. from their family of origin or from uh, maybe their their religious upbringing or, you know, school. Like, I don't want to minimize the fact that there are, there are a lot of people in this world that have never heard that message or received that message from another human. But that doesn't make it any less true. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about what we do in small group is for a lot of people, for the very first time, they come in to a group of people and experience that unconditional love and acceptance that perhaps they've never experienced anywhere else before. And when you experience that, you really can begin to change the way that you think because you're hearing things about who you already are that maybe have not been called out or drawn out from um, from others before. And it is so beautiful to see just how love really can heal a person. You know, going back to that scene from The Chosen, I, I watch that all the time when I'm getting in a bad place. I just pull it up on YouTube and watch it. But Jesus calls her by name because she's running away from him and she's, and she's in that scene at, at the bar. And she's got the alcohol and she's running away. She's changed her name because she's no longer. And in that episode, you saw her as a little girl and she was adored by the father. And then he died and you see all the things that happened to her. So she's living through a false self. Mm. Jesus calls her by name and she just freezes, frozen in her tracks. Mary, Mary Magdalene. And she goes, how do you know my name? You know, he called her by name. So it's like Scott. Scott real. I see you. And, and and when Jesus calls your name, it's not the worst part of you that is being drug up in your heart. It's the best part of you somehow. No, and if you and if you in that scene and Jesus sees her in the bar and he comes yeah. up to her and he says, "Hey, this is not for you." You know, what I mean, I see you. You're Mary. And so the false self does that. I mean, it just cripples us and that's where all of our addictive behaviors, our attachments, all our dysfunction grows through. And that, and at the center of a, a false self is the belief that you will leave me if you know me, if you truly know me. If I am, if all that is revealed to you, you will reject me. And so Jesus calls us out by our name, and that's what happens in these groups. That's what it means to be fully known. And hey, Scott, I see you. 
You are mine. I love you, and nothing will ever, ever separate you from me. It's it's fascinating the incarnation, Jesus in flesh and blood. To Anna's point, probably the majority of people have not gotten that message fully and clearly. Most of us have something in our past that we've not been able to integrate that message of dignity and worth and love, and and yet. When God wants to reveal that, He reveals, reveals it through incarnation, which is which is what you do in groups. It's incarnating this kind of love for people to see and witness to through flesh and blood, and essentially that's what it means to be the body of Christ, right? Is to to reflect that in some beautiful way to others. Well, Bradshaw in his model of of shame says that it does, if at our core is a message of toxic shame, we will develop a false self. And from the false self, he says, all of our addictive responses will, will grow. And so there's nothing, he says, there's only one antidote to save us and heal us from that toxic shame center. And that's what we're most terrified of. It's just exposure. So to be known is the antidote to be known. And that's where I drop the false self and people see Scott. This is Scott, the real Scott. And we love him just as he is changes your life can you guys be known as we wrap up this episode um how about if i do a couple rapid fire questions in regards to this but at the very end of this and this is not just to scott and anna this is to all you uh, listening um let me start by asking all of us a question are you tired of going in circles when you were meant to soar Mm. Are you willing to let yourself be loved? That's the question for all of us. And then I want you guys just two questions, rapid fire here. So, Scott, what is keeping you from being loved? Shame. Shame. Fear. Yeah. Anna, what is keeping you from being loved? Probably just myself. Um, hmm. Yeah. Not Not always believing that. I am who God says that I am. All right. One more. Who does God keep insisting you are, Scott? His loved son. His beloved son. Yep. Very dearly, deeply. Anna, who does God keep insisting you are? That I am loved and precious to him. Mm -hmm. Okay. One final word. What do you want our listeners to know that God is insisting about them? He loves them. And he knows them by name. Mm. And he's calling to them. And I would say no matter what your story is, no matter how dark or where you've been, um, there's love out there. You are loved and, yeah, you're loved. And I think his his message is no matter where you are, what you're dealing with, you can make a new beginning, Mm. a new start, a fresh start right there and he'll meet you there all right well thanks friends for joining us and you heard from scott and nana and we now all have a way um, to move out of these memories that hold us back into something more good and beautiful and hope hopefully is going to reveal the good to all of you every one of us has a different path but the same human journey to travel and no one should go it alone Visit us online at restoresmallgroups.org to learn more about online and in-person groups you can join. 
Over every mountain there is a path, and the future rewards those who discover it and press on. Stay on the path and take care, friends.